Hello, and welcome to our podcast. We will be sharing with you a panel of unionists from varying locations that came to our class. The scope of union work isn't just about labor, but also involves community. We came into this panel with many questions, but left nourished with many more. What is the relationship between unions and capital and the state? What are the contradictions of unions and how might they be transformed? We are going to hear from union organizers and influencers. Joining us is John Braxton, who has been affiliated with Community Colleges of Philadelphia, or CCP's Teachers Union. We are also joined by Audrey Jacquees and Devin Daniels, who are both members of Get Up, which stands for the Graduate Employees Together at the University of Pennsylvania. Since 2000, when Get Up was founded, graduate students have been using this organization to mobilize around issues that affect them. Daniel Simmons of the Caucus of Working Educators is also here with us. Virtually, we have Gia Lee, educating us from the New York City Public School District. She has been a special education teacher in the East Village since 2001, aka at the beginning of No Child Left Behind. She is part of More Caucus, a piece of the larger network with We Caucus. We're very grateful that you chose to join us in listening to this panel. Enjoy. Uh, I'm John Braxton, uh, he, him, pronouns. I am Audrey, uh, she, pronouns. Hi, I'm uh, Devin Daniels, uh, I use he, him, his pronouns. Hi everybody, excited to hear your question. Uh, my name is Daniel Simmons. Hi everyone, I can kind of see you and I can kind of hear you. What role does social justice play in unionism? I think that uh, unionization uh, at a place like Penn is a, essential to uh, preventing the university from perpetuating pre-existing social inequalities. Um, Policies like the uh, punitive medical leave system here, um, the delay in payment where first years don't receive their first salary till the end of September, uh, the GRE requirement, um, along with many other policies, they they create a system in which wealth, family support, able-bodiedness, neurotypicality are assumed uh, students of color, trans students, women students, student parents, international students suffer disproportionately. And while the university offers us avenues to express our views on these issues, like gaps, uh, if they're not uh, paired with material power, um, it's not going to make a difference, right? But we think that the uh, it becomes mostly like ceremonial. Uh, they have lots of sessions where they like hear what we have to say, but uh, we think that organizing our labor power is uh, uh, the only way to like make the changes that need to happen happen uh, without relying on the, the caprice of the administration. Uh, so I, I would say I view the uh, the uh, fight for social justice and the fight for labor organizing as as part of the same fight. Um, yeah, I mean I think that's um, well put. I think. Um, Part of the intention of the union is also to create Penn at large, a, a space that's more accessible and open. Um, you know, you mentioned things like the jury and, and the prohibitive nature of um, graduate education at large. And you know, part of I think the way I see our role too is is researching Penn and what they're not doing. Um, so, for example, you know looking at the statistics uh, that Penn reports on um, who 
who are their PhD students are, you know, uh, it's really disappointing. And so I, I view part of our, our role as, as, you know, a group that can research amongst ourselves and, and support each other, like, even if Penn is not uh, going to do it. It's important in organizing to have clear goals. John from GetUp explains the organizational role in support of equitable graduate education. Next, Dan from the Caucus of Working Educators explains the unequal system that is the Philly public schools. That's a great question. I think that it's easy to claim that we want to incorporate social justice into unionism. There are some inherent contradictions in trying to do that. But the fact is, for organizing the Philadelphia school system, for example, within the caucus, it's a brutally unequal system. It is just the truth that being poor, black and brown, having special learning needs, this greatly reduces the chances of you getting uh, the best that the school system has to offer. So in, in seeking institutional power, distributing resources more evenly, some would argue that that is alone a social justice goal. I think it's also important that we have to name our understanding of certainly Philadelphia race and poverty and how they cut up access to the school system and name that in the course of doing what might seem like less social justice with the capital S um, work. And so you know, if you want to win an election in the Philadelphia Teachers Union, you're going to have to talk to a lot of people who roll their eyes at the word justice or social justice or who would never at this moment say that Black Lives Matter. And it just really depends on the space that we're organizing in how we try and manifest social justice. So I think fundamentally, you have to meet people where they are. There have to be really strong relationships in order to persuade anyone to do anything. But within our organizing core, um, we have a, a pretty non-negotiable stance about what our values are. Um, again, we can say within the caucus uh, as an organizing core that Black Lives Matter, that we want to fight for liberation. <coughs> For that to really be manifest, we just need to understand that we're all coming from different life experiences. No one's the expert on it. You don't just figure that out and, and claim it. And so we've got protocols within our organization, which is, hey, is there a moment of tension? Um, we use some of us who are inside our group, some who are outside of our group, just to mediate conflict, right? Because every time we disagree about our politics or when, when individuals will counterpose winning an election versus doing the work of revolution, um, every single one of those disagreements has a deep philosophical root to it that everyone feels strongly about. It. So we just have to kind of be humble, assess whether or not we're manifesting our goals towards social justice, and most of all, just be open to that conversation. So, you know, part of, part of getting incorporated into our organization is knowing that getting called out and called in and doing that in a way that maintains our ability to work together is part of the work. And knowing that some of us have a higher tolerance for meeting with people who would not have the vocabulary to give their pronoun uh, at the start of this meeting. I'm Keith Kimberly. Yeah, I, I heard a lot of the things that I would totally agree with um, in terms of social justice. And if you, you know, for, for you know, those in the room who are not familiar, check out Rethinking Schools. Yeah. Um, they have a really fantastic working definition of it, of social justice unionism, that was, I think, coined by Bob Peterson, one of the uh, founders. Um, <coughs> unionism should, one, defend the rights of its members while fighting for the rights and needs 
the broader community and district. The interests of education workers are best served by defending public education while simultaneously working to transform. And I think um, that another, and I'm just gonna keep doing, I'm gonna throw different like resources that you may or may not have heard about, but um, it makes me think about not just like policy, but how policies implemented, um, not just questioning like, oh yeah, we're gonna make these policies rules better for certain groups of people, but the structures that create them. So do we have a white supremacist culture um, within our government? Yes, we do. Do we have a white supremacist culture within our universities, our school systems? Um, they're incredibly bureaucratic. Uh, we have to question how decisions are made. And I heard the, the last panelists speak about um, changing protocols and then that leads to you know how what steps can we make to make our unions more welcoming spaces just by asking how are things going at your school how are you doing um, you know what are the main things that are concerning you what are your main issues we'll find in really large bureaucratic unions I'm in the largest um, teachers union in the nation public sector union we dominate the national forum and people don't understand just how huge we are so if you think about chicago teachers uh, chicago is the size of brooklyn like one borough <laughs> um organizing in new york city is like trying to tackle a huge mammoth you know uh, mountain but when you think about just the the necessity to build relationships with each other that are nurturing, that are uh, about human connection, um, about caring, um, so that we can, you know, build the schools that our students and our communities deserve. Um, that's social justice unionism. You're not just thinking, people think like, oh, social justice unionism versus bread and butter issues. I would argue their bread and butter issues are part of social justice. Um, who are the people not having access to basic needs right now? With predominance, if you just think about it. Um, we know who they are in our schools. So it's super important for us to remember that unionism is not, you know, in isolation to every other, everything else. Um, and making steps towards that, it can be really simple if we think about what are the needs. And the only way to find that out is to ask people um, and to come around to those common understandings through a democratic process and not a bureaucratic one. A common theme we hear from Gia of Moore Caucus New York and our other organizers is asking questions. Social justice work has to start with conversations of how are you? What are your issues? And what do you need to see changed? What is the necessity of organizing conversations? Recently, there's been a shift in major cities like Chicago and LA to negotiate with social and racial justice lenses. Progressive caucuses like CORE of Chicago and Union Power of LA possess leadership of their unions and expand collective bargaining to include more than just health care and wages, but provisions to benefit students, families, and their learning environments. John, vice president of the Teachers Union at the Community College of Philadelphia, continues to prove the point that unions are inherently a force for social justice. So, what is the tension between increasing teacher compensation and improving broader issues? 
I guess uh, I think everybody's comments here are really good. And um, I would just sort of start with the premise that unions in and of themselves are about social justice. That uh, if you, uh, that unions are one of the few organizations that uh, are, are here in, in order to level the playing field. Uh, and that doesn't mean that unions have always done it well in, in all ways, but that it is where it starts. Um, you know, that we live in a society that's dominated by the profit motive. And unions are uh, one of the best, maybe, uh, maybe one of the few and best forces that can counteract that. Um, and of course, all of us here have to do with education and that profit motive is just, you know, there's been more and more interest in trying to have the profit motive invade the public space. Right, so just the very existence of public education was a fight at some point. Right? It, was a, it was a fight because education was just limited to people who had money at some point. Um, and, but, but the forces of profit want to keep limiting that. And, you know, they want to invade in all kinds of ways, whether it's uh, actually privatizing education. And um, I was part of the fight here at some point. You know, they wanted Edison to run the whole school district in Philadelphia. And I was just one little piece of the fight that prevented that from happening. Um, and, uh, and of course there are still for-profit entities within the school system here in Philly, but it's not as big as it would have been if we hadn't had that fight. So, um, you know, I think unions inherently start out that way, but there's also a tendency for unions to just kind of focus on uh, what, what are the immediate needs of my members? You know, the sort of bread and butter stuff. Um, and, and I totally agree that, um, that there shouldn't be a contradiction between the bread and butter issues and the broader social justice issues. Um, but, uh, but there is a tendency to kind of get small. And, and sometimes, you know, union officers feel like, well, I get reelected based on whether or not I got a 4% raise or a 3% raise for my members. Uh, so thinking can get small that way. Um, but I think one of the interesting things is, uh, whether it's good or bad, I'm not sure, but the, the times, the currents of the times today uh, mean that we can't think small. Uh, we can't win if we think too small. Uh, you know, one of the things that has made the Chicago Teachers Union and the LA Teachers Union more recently successful is that they tackle broader issues. Uh, and they, partly you tackle broader issues because you believe in them, of course, um, but you also tackle them because if you're seen as just the greedy teachers that are just looking for an extra percent in their raise, then you don't have public support. And so, so there's the bread and butter issues and the social justice union <coughs> issues, I think, go hand in hand. At, at, at CCP, one of the things that our union fought for really hard was um, class size in the contract. So, you know, that's an issue that affects students and therefore it affects parents. Um, and, and then, of course, it, it affects working conditions. So a, a, a kind of a, a trite phrase within the union educational movement is, uh, working conditions for the workers are students' learning conditions. Uh, and, and so we just have to remind people of that all the time and remind ourselves of that all the time. Um, 
And um, I guess the, the other thing I would just mention is in one of the things, part of the current of the time is, of course, to freeze the public sector in general, right? So first, um, unions were really strong starting in the 40s, the 30s, and the 40s. And for a while, I think that, you know, the, uh, the corporate elite kind of made a truce with unions and said, it looks like we got to live with these people. And then somewhere in the 70s, and, uh, and I'm old enough to remember all of this, uh, not the 30s, uh, <laughs> uh, but somewhere in the 70s, corporate, the corporate elites kind of said, you know, I think we could go on the offensive against unions. And so they attacked unions in the industrial sector, uh, and they weakened them tremendously. And then they said, okay, now we can go after unions in the public sector. And so, so they've been trying to do that more and more. And part of that means just freezing funding uh, for public education at, at all levels. And um, so at the community college level, what that's meant is the administrators, who aren't necessarily our enemies all the time, uh, have had to figure out how to balance the books when there's very little funding coming from the public sector. And that's meant that they've hired lots and lots of part-time faculty. Uh, and so uh, they balance the books that way, but part-time faculty are paid a lot less, their um, benefits are a lot less. And, and so, you know, we have uh, lots and lots of people that are coming out of graduate school that hope to get a job in higher education. Uh, and full-time jobs are just really hard to find there. And one of the things that our local fought for was to have a ratio of the number of sections that are taught by full-time faculty compared to part-time faculty. And right now it's, it's, at a, it's roughly at about uh, two-thirds, which is much lower than we would like it to be. We'd like to see, you know, there's some argument for having some part-time faculty to fill in the gaps. Um, but that's not why we have so many part-time faculty. We have a huge number of part-time faculty because they're cheap, um, and, that's, and that's because they're exploited. And so our, our union has fought to it, and we have one of the better contract provisions on that that says that about two-thirds of the sections have to be taught by full-time faculty. It, we're not at all happy with that, but that's an example of social justice union and the bread and butter issues kind of coming together as one. What union win are you most proud of? So our, our current iteration hasn't had any wins yet, but, but, I, but the previous iterations of GetUp had some very significant wins, such as the, the original version led to a significant stipend increase. The uh, GetUp 2.0 led to uh, partially subsidized dental insurance. And these are wins that were coming from what ultimately were failed unionization uh, attacks. So, you know, we think like, you know, you actually have to who knows what we could do. I think the biggest win for me, even though we haven't won anything from the administration, is feeling um, a little bit less of a sense of powerlessness um, that I think can uh, reinforces uh, graduate students are exhausted and in a precarious situation already. Um, but, you know, part of being in, in this group has made me feel um, a little more powerful finding out that, for example, Penn has a $14 billion endowment 
and they have a largely tax-exempt status uh, directly involves your work and our work, and knowing that there's power to be won um, has been really, um, for me, a win. So, um, and, I, and, and talking to you all and hopefully learning from you all is, is also a So just to name one, one win of like the Working at Leaders Caucus in the two years of work we've done, we've got a 13,000 member union, a lot of allied members who are not members of our union, but we're just bringing back democracy and raising expectations for people. Um, so having an election in our union, telling people that we have elections in our union, uh, starting a resource group for all the shop stewards who are known as building reps, mm -hmm. and giving people a tangible sense that if something is wrong in their building, we can fix those problems on our own. We don't need uh, the union president to come in and enforce a contract as it already exists within our schools. Um, so really just trying to develop uh, organizing skills among the membership so that now we have hundreds of Philadelphia educators who know that if something's up, they can run a petition in their own building, talk to their colleagues, um, lots and lots of training sessions and teaching people how to have what's called a one-on-one -on -one organizing conversation. So that's really what it is, is, is giving people the skills to do the same thing that we just scale up as an organization. Wins in organizing are present when people feel supported and powerful, as our GetUp leader suggests when organizers can raise expectations, as communicated by the Caucus of Working Educators. Next, John of CCP and Gia of Moore Caucus raise issues of seniority, paid parental leave, and avenues for funding. Well, this is, there's so much to bounce off of here. Uh, one thing I, I just want to say is that um, as a member of the American Federation of Teachers, the, the graduate student unions, the unionization of graduate students has had a huge and positive impact on teachers' unions in this country. Uh, and so uh, some, of, some of our uh, younger leaders in the AFT nationally are people who came out of organizations like, some of them did come out of GetUp and, yeah. and other organizations like that. And so I want to just give a, a shout out to that. Um, and, um, and also just to mention, there's an organization here in Philly, there's a chapter here in Philly called Jobs with Justice. Um, that uh, has been pushing for pilots for quite some time, payment in lieu of taxes. Uh, and so that's another thing to think about. Um, I, th I think one of our biggest unions, uh, the biggest victories within our union at, at CCP um, has been, uh, I mentioned the one about the, the part-time, full-time ratio. Um, within part-time faculty, we uh, created a seniority system a long time ago. And seniority gets a, a bad name uh, a lot of times, and sometimes there's reasons why it gets a bad name, but ours has some flexibility in it. Uh, but it means that uh, part-time faculty uh, are not at the whim of whoever happens to be the administrator uh, deciding who gets to keep working. So if you, <clears throat> if you talk to part-time faculty at most places, uh, they'll say, I have no idea if I'm going to work next semester or not. Uh, and by having a seniority system, you uh, and then again, there is flexibility. It's not like strict seniority. <coughs> but it means that uh, a faculty member could say, okay, I've been here for five years now, and I can see that repeatedly people that have been here for five years get work next semester. And that's, that's transformational, because a lot of part-time faculty are... Um, are really, sometimes they call them Rhodes Scholars. 
R-O-A-D-S, because they're on the road. And we have part-time faculty that teach at three, four different community colleges or wherever they can get work because they're only getting paid a fraction of what they would get paid at any one of those places. But all of them will say, I, I want to work at CCP because A, I, I can tell that I'm guaranteed work and the pay and the benefits are better. So it's, you know, it's, they're still exploited. We're not happy with that we've gotten as far as we've gotten, but we have made a huge difference for them in that way. All right, so victories. Um, we take whatever possible victories, no matter how small, we take them very seriously because we're so huge and we feel like we're, you know, like an ant trying to move like this giant molehill. But um, last year we really pushed, it took us a couple of years to push a petition around um, paid parental leave. It was initially paid family leave, but, um, yeah, all city workers were being given this right unless you were part of a union in New York State. Strange. So, yeah, like when I had my kid, I didn't have any uh, parental leave. Um, I literally took time out of what is called a, like a reserve time, and I had to pay that money back. I had my child 16 years ago. But um, now parents, new parents can take, even if you're adopting, um, Adoptive parents can also take six weeks now. Um, we didn't have that until last year. It was a big push, a huge petition, organizing work. Um, and then just recently, you guys all know what day December 23rd falls on? Monday. Monday. So we <coughs> come to work that day and then take the 24th off as our first day of break and come back after the weekend. Um, the DOE was not budging. There was all there were all these news articles that the DOE Department of Education was not going to budge on that issue. We started the petition as soon as the calendar came out <laughs> and started telling all the families and you know everyone and everything you know everyone was saying was impossible. But just uh, last week they announced it does the twenty fifth. So that's. Um, but there, I mean, small victories everywhere inside of schools. Um, you know, being able to organize locally is huge. Feeling the power of organizing with your colleagues around an issue in your school um, is huge, and we share them all the time at our uh, when we gather. Um, I want to just say, like, uh, someone mentioned a, a phrase, a motto: "Our working conditions are our students' learning conditions." That was started by us in Walmart. It's on the back of our shirts and it's on all of our literature. Um, we, you know, we basically make that our motto constantly wherever we're going. Um, and I just wanted to say that process matters. So um, if there's anything, you know, I would ask, I, I wouldn't ask anything of you other than to please support the Working Educators Caucus financially and otherwise, um, and support your own organizing efforts. Um, in whatever capacity that you're working in, support each other. And um, that process matters in Los Angeles and Chicago. A big part of the reason why they had so much community um, support is because, yes, they took over the leadership, but what they did immediately was change the internal structures. They really ramped up their organizing committee. They beefed up their research committee so that they understood where the money, you know, basically follow the money. Um, 
you know, they built space within their own union halls to let existing community organizations, like those parent groups in Los Angeles, they were allowed to have a regular meeting space in their meet in the union hall um, to do the work and coordinate, uh, collaborate with um, teachers <coughs> union there. And that's how they built those relationships. It was pretty remarkable to watch over the last six years, um, you know, going there almost annually. Another key strategy in transforming teacher organizing is engaging with the community, as all of our panelists have voiced. This past year, the United Teachers of Los Angeles marched with 60,000 people downtown to demand higher expectations for students. More Caucus of New York leads with the slogan, Teachers' Working Conditions Are Students' Learning Conditions. We've seen that changing internal union structures to include community voice can have a major impact on urban public education. If you would recommend us to study anything or add a podcast, book, speaker, article, website, newsletter to our lexicon, what would it be? Um, in terms of how to help us, um, a lot of you are graduate students, almost all of you. So, you know, we'd love for you to get involved. Uh, if you send an email to pengetup at gmail.com from a non-pen email address uh, with your... <laughs> name, program, and year, we can add you to our email list, let you know about all our meetings coming up, uh, and there's lots of opportunities to get involved. We have coordinator positions that need to be filled, <coughs> boots on the ground stuff to be done, uh, and our next meeting is going to be on October 25th, right? Yes, October 25th. Likely on campus in the uh, Fisher Benefit Graduate Lounge. Um, and a podcast I like is Making Sense, which is a history of capitalism podcast. There's a lot of great episodes about uh, unionization and uh, its history. Would echo all of that. If you want to uh, join us, I manage the mailing list, so I will would love to uh, talk to you after this. Add for resources. Um, you, if you have this written down. Yeah, I wish you had. Yeah, probably most of you know of Fred Mosman, Stefano, Carney's under comments, and I would add. Um, Various pedagogy of press and Jane Napoli's Know the Shortcuts. Um, how you can help? We absolutely need your money. Um, all of our <laughs> well, hey Pat, come on. Yes. Um, yeah, we need all your money um, because you know our events necessarily are going to have a lot of childcare, food, language translation. Uh, the lowest paid members of our union start at fourteen thousand dollars and get up to twenty six thousand dollars. Those people need transportation reimbursements. We have to understand that a lot of our work is with the working poor, with working poor parents and families. Um, so please become a member, a supporting member of the Caucus of Working Educators. That's workingeducators.org. Um, also, we show up uh, to UPenn, especially when it's time to ask Penn to, to pay pilots, payments in lieu of taxes. That's a direct school district issue. So by all means, if you're on campus, don't miss that. A um, lot of good resources you can look into. I like to check on a daily basis the On Labor blog from Yale Law School. It's really quite good, just a um, national summary of reliable news and you kind of get a sense of what's going on. A refreshing departure from CNN's labor coverage, if you will, <laughs> uh, as well as if there's one book, there's a lot of books, but uh, Bill Fletcher's Solidarity Divided gives a much more nuanced and interesting history of labor and race and labor and its compromises with uh, power elites over the last century um, and revives some of that 
20s, 30s, and 40s version of the labor movement before labor became this narrow kind of business unionism, which has been under real attack. So I would say Solidarity Divided as a book um, is, is an essential history if you're thinking about race and labor movement. Uh, another um, thing I wanted to share is a document by Tima Okun and uh, Kenneth Jones. It's called White Supremacy Culture from Dismantling Racism. It's a workbook for social change groups. Um, if you're about real social change um, and you want to examine, it's, you know, it's a really practical guide, but um, I found it very, very helpful in internal, in, you know, um, examining. Um, a book, The Red Strike Revolt by Eric Black, a really good friend um, who's part of our national network and he's done a ton of research on the West Virginia and all the red state um, strikes. It's an amazing piece, really easy read um, because you guys have all this free time, right? <laughs> um, another one is if you want to know kind of like the history of the UFT and um, civil rights movement and some of the, I guess, the controversy um, around Brown versus Board of Ed in New York City. Um, read The Strike That Changed New York. Highly, highly recommend that. Um, I'm also, I didn't mention it, but I'm a, a trainer for Labor Notes. I do a lot of their Secrets of a Successful Organizer trainings. Um, so the Secrets of a Successful Organizer training book, I mean, that that's a really good read too. And uh, the Tina Loves um, book. If you, I know that We Caucus did um, a reading group around it. It's, um, we want to do more than survive an abolitionist, I can't remember the exact title, um, an abolitionist teaching and pursuit of educational freedom. Um, highly recommend that as well if you haven't read it. This panel raised many questions about union work as well as inspired union activism. How do you advocate for union constituents' interests if they are in conflict? What do questions around privilege and class dynamics and unions look like in practice? How do we handle intellectual labor as a form of capital? We hope you felt engaged and moved by the material we learned in this panel. Thank you for joining us and being in conversation with this work in a deeper way. For more union history, feel free to scan our page at activismbeyondtheclassroom.com. Thank you.